0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you want my notes, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. 1 Samuel chapter 16, First Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse one, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him for being the king of Israel fill your horn with oil and go to Jesse for I have provided myself a king among his sons and Samuel said how can I go if Saul hears he will kill me and the Lord said take a heifer with you and say I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to, to the sacrifice and I will show you what you should do And you shall anoint from me whom I have declared. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him. Trembling, they said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, "'Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come up with me to the sacrifice.' And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he took one look at Eliab and thought, "'Surely that's the Lord's anointed before him.' But the Lord said to Samuel, "'Do not look on his appearance nor his height or his stature.' Because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I came to tell you today that we need reformation in our finances. The title of this message is The Heart of Reformation. Let's pray. So Lord, I declare right now your word is true. I declare let every man be a liar. We declare your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we hide your word in our heart that we won't sin against you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would breathe upon your word. I pray your logos would become rhema and revelation to us today. Lord, I pray you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying today. Holy Spirit, we declare we don't make room for you, but we give you the entire room. We declare no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. We say, Spirit of offense, you must go. Spirit of mammon, you must go spirit of fear, you must go. Holy Spirit, come, have your way. Lord, I thank you nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you, so we declare, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, and all God's people said, amen, Amen. and amen. We are stewarding a prophetic word of reformation, That this year the Lord would make the crooked ways straight. Reformation is when wrong things become right in God's sight or righteousness. This is a John 3.30 year where he will increase and we will decrease. Church, reformation begins with you before you can make the crooked way straight somewhere else, before you can take the plank out of somebody else's eye, you first have to deal with what's in your eye. Reformation begins with you. And you begin with your heart. Now, I'm going to warn you this morning, you have an opportunity that you could either be convicted or you could be offended. See, When you do not steward conviction offenses set in. I just want to be authentic with you. I don't know in 20 years of ministry if I've ever been more convicted coming into a message than I was this week. I probably repented to the Lord more coming into minister this week than I can remember in the last 20 years. And the reason why I was convicted is because the Lord kept dealing with my heart. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about finances, but really what I'm talking about is heart issues. And I want permission. May I pastor you today? It's a yes or no. There's no middle ground. Now, here's the thing. Now, it's amazing because people want to be pastored when I'm teaching about hearing the voice of God. People want to be pastored when we're teaching about spiritual warfare and unseating principalities and fear-based warfare. They want to be taught when I'm teaching on faith and and fasting and all these different things. And then the moment we start talking about financing, they're like, no, I'm good. Either you want to spiritually grow or not. Turn your neighbor and say, it's time to spiritually grow. (laughs) Turn your second choice and say, hope you brought your big boy pants. (laughs) Now, I just want to be clear. If you see Pastor Isaac and Vanessa running out of the service today, her due date was on Friday, so they're not running out offended. They might just have to run to the hospital or home, wherever you're doing this. So just want to make sure. But if you go running out, we'll have to talk. We'll have to figure this out. Turn to your neighbor and say, Reformation starts with you. I'm going to give you a powerful scripture, Proverbs 4.23. This has probably been the scripture that has sustained me in ministry. Here's what it says. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. Your ability to steward your heart will reflect every area of your life. Your ability to, refl- uh, to steward your heart reflects your marriage. It reflects your children. And it reflects your finances. Your heart affects every area of your life. What does it mean when it says everything? It means the core of a person. It means the very substance of who you are. Your heart is the substance of who you are. And unfortunately, because not enough people know God's word, we think things about our heart that are not true. Like we say stuff like, well, just go with your heart. When actually the Bible teaches the opposite. Jesus never one time said, y'all, just go with your heart. Let me show you what God's Word says about the heart so you can be prepared. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it or trust it? There's somebody like, man, I knew I shouldn't have gone with my heart in that relationship. No! Don't go with your heart. You go with the Word of God. You go from from, from relationship with the Lord. Mark 7:21 says, "From within or out of a heart come evil thoughts, sexually immorality, theft, murder, and adultery." Watch this, guys. Your greatest sins are not addictions; they're heart issues. And there's some people that are struggling with sexual sin today, and you've tried to deal with sexual sin. And the reason why you've struggled with so long is you're trying to deal with an outward manifestation of an inward challenge. Watch, you don't have a sexually addiction problem. You have a heart problem. You gotta hear this today. Everything that you're struggling with, everything you're going through, everything you're battling, the battle is in the heart. Someone say heart. Come on, say like you're preaching with me the more, this morning. Say heart. Now, what more about your heart? God wants to be loved with your own heart, with your whole heart. We call this the greatest commandment. Where God says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What happens when you love God? Well, you'll encounter God when you love Him with your heart. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God or they shall encounter God. God tests our heart. Proverbs seventeen three says, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. And you need to understand that a part of this test is that money reveals our hearts. Matthew 6, 21 says this, For where your money is, or your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it's wild because a lot of people don't realize how much money reflects your heart. The heart is the core of who you are, and your heart affects every area of your life. Now, this morning, I want you to grow. And the reason why I'm teaching on this is this is the year of reformation. And there's no way we're going to reform outside of our family if we don't have first reformation in our own hearts, and our own lives. So when Jesus started teaching about someone's heart, he started reflecting to money because that is what's at the core of you. Your money reflects your heart. So I'm going to give you this morning three significant ways to spiritually grow. These are some of the most significant ways that you can grow. And I know we're a church full of people that are passionate about spiritual growth. So real quick, number one, daily encounters. If you want to grow with God, connect with Him daily. That's why we want you to go through connect. That's why we want you to be equipped. Number two, develop a fasting lifestyle. We've already taught about this. Some things only come out through prayer and fasting. Fasting aligns you with the perfect will of God. It sets you up for the supernatural. And three, people that honor God with their giving, supernaturally, spiritually grow. So I want you to ask yourself a self-reflection question. Have you spiritually grown in these areas? How are your daily encounters? What does your fasting lifestyle look like? And what does your giving look like? Because these three ways will reflect your spiritual growth. I remember when I was teaching my children about uh, tithing, and uh, we, we, we brought them together, and we said, hey, this is, this is what tithing is. And we started teaching it. The initial response from my, my young children was, no. <laughs> like, I, like, like I told them a family pet died or something. Like what? Like, no. We have to give our money. And, and I'm, I had to teach my children in the state of immaturity that they're in. No, no, no. Do you love God? Yes. Then we honor God and obey God. But what's wild is there's a lot of adults that have the same response of my immature children. That when I said we're going to talk about the heart, people are like, yeah! And then I said I came here to tell you today you need reformation in your finances. And your response was, oh no. <laughs> and the reason why is because it's reflecting your spiritual maturity. Because those that are the most spiritually mature love giving to God the most. It's interesting how people get weird with money. It's true. Family stuff gets weird with money. Start talking about gifts and how much we're spending and who's doing what and who's contributing. Start talking about inheritances. people get money. You could be great business partners and all of a sudden you start talking about monies and dividends and and payouts and things get weird. Friendships can get weird with money. My relationship with Pastor Steve's gotten really weird over the years. Every time we go to pay, all of a sudden his arms shrink back and he just can't reach the check. (laughs) Gets super weird every single time. And watch people get weird with their church with money where you love your church. Mercy culture is the most amazing place you've ever been in your entire life. The worship so amazing. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, well, hey, I'm going to teach you about what God says about money. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I just, I feel like the Lord's leading me a different direction now. I thought you said you want to spiritually grow. I thought you said you wanted reformation. This is really, really important for the future. Now, what's wild is this, is that people don't have any problems Talking about money or using money for self glorifying entertainment. Let me give you a few examples. The Dallas Cowboys Stadium was built for $1.15 billion. The average cost of a Cowboys ticket is $107. Bass Hall, the beautiful uh, symphony, was built in the 80s for $60 million. How about the new Globe Life Field cost $1.2 billion to build that one? How about this? Taylor Swift made a billion dollars on her recent tour, and the average ticket sale price was $600. And then you start talking about what the church is doing with the money, and all of a sudden, oh, that seems like a lot to me because your money reveals your heart and your heart reveals what you love the most. Now, I wanna warn you, I despise manipulation. I grew up in a church that taught a false gospel of prosperity. They called it the prosperity gospel. And as all it did was taught, teach people how to give to get, which actually breeds greed within a person. And so they thought that they could manipulate God. They never had to steward good. They didn't have to follow any other rules of God, any other ways of God. But if they gave enough that God would bless them. And it's this manipulation of people. I've seen it. I've never been held hostage before, but I've been in a church service where they took four offerings in one service. And it felt like a hostage takeover. I despise manipulation. At the same time, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have to look at what Jesus taught. I have to look at what Jesus talked about. And do you know there's over 2,400 scriptures on money, wealth and stewardship and possessions? 2,400. Let me put it in perspective. There's less than 1,000 on love and a1,000 excuse me, on prayer and 1,000 on faith. Maybe Jesus was trying to get people's attention because he was after their heart. And so in order to connect with people's heart, he was connecting with where their heart was. See, the heart of giving starts with the tithe. The heart of giving Starts with the tithe. The tithe in the Hebrew is the word, it, is, it means the word a tenth part or a test. The tithe means this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the tithe into the storehouse. So the Bible teaches us that we are to bring 10% of all income to God's house, the storehouse. The prophet said this, now test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you so much that you will not have room for it. So the Bible teaches us to bring 10% of all of our giving and bring it to the house of the Lord. He says, I want you to bring it back to me. And this is what God commands us to do. Now, this is important because there's great meaning in this. The tithe was first mentioned in Genesis 14. Fourteen chapters into the Bible, the tithe was mentioned, where Abraham was tithing to a king named Melchizedek that theologians believe was type and shadow of Jesus. We, we know according to Leviticus 27.30 that the tithe is holy. It says this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain, soil, fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. Now this is really important because we're stewarding a year of reformation. And we know that holiness fuels reformation. How are you going to steward the holiness of reformation when you can't steward your tithe? quiet in this spirit-filled church. Tithe means this, to be set apart. Why is it set apart? Because God is testing people's hearts. This is what he's doing with the tithe. Not only is the tithe holy, but your tithe is worship. First Chronicles sixteen twenty-nine says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord in his splendor of holiness. Church, your tithe Either honors God or dishonors God. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits, someone say first fruits, of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim, brim with, over, with new wine. This is really important because there's a lot of individuals that say, thing that say statements they think are justified. And they say things like, well, I can't afford to tithe. And the truth is, is you don't have an affording problem. You have a first fruits problem. And what you mean is this, is you've already given away the 10% to other things that you value more. And you don't have anything left over for God. So watch, when it's a percentage, it's never an affording problem. It's a value problem because i'm not great at numbers i'm not a mathematician but i know 0% of 0 or 10% of 0 is 0 so it's not an affording problem it is a priority problem where you value other things, so your streaming service, or your cell phone provider, or your automobile provider, or whatever it is, you pay those bills first, and then, ah oh God, I don't have anything left over for you, because I honor those companies more than I honor you." Exodus 22:29 says, "Do not delay to offer the first of your right fruits." We see this again in Genesis chapter four, verse two, where Cain and Abel, two brothers, are bringing their offerings before the Lord. And in verse three it says, in the course of time, that means you give when you feel like it. When Cain felt like it, he brought some of the fruits of the soil to the Lord. Verse four, but Abel brought the fat portion, someone say fat, from the firstborn, say first fruits." Of his flock. Look at this, the Lord looked at favor with Abel in his offering, but Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. Man, if this doesn't reflect church today, Abel brings his first and God looks at him with favor. And then Cain in the course of time just brings something. God doesn't look at him with favor and then he's mad at God and mad at the church that he doesn't have favor when he didn't honor God first. And then you want to complain about the preacher who talks about giving once every two years when Jesus talked about it one every six messages. This is an important part because we're not talking about your money even though you may think I am talking about your money. I'm talking about your heart. I want to go a little deeper with this because a lot of people say, well, the tithing's Old Testament. Well, if it's Old Testament, then how come in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said to tithe? He was talking about the Pharisees and said, you should tithe, yes, but also don't forget other important things to do. Where does your tithe go? Your tithe goes to your local church. Malachi 3.10 says the storehouse. In the New Testament, they brought it to the apostles' feet. So there's some people that don't want to obey God and honor God and bring it to their local church. They want to say stuff like, well, I want to choose what nonprofit I give my tithes to. That's not your tithe. Your tithe goes to your local church, not your favorite ministry. It doesn't go to whatever nonprofit that you believe in. And I'm glad you want to do those things. But don't take the money that belongs to God and give it to that. Look at, if you feel like you have control over your tithe, it means this you're dishonoring God. It goes to your local church. And in the church, it's used for the advancement of the gospel and the ministry of the congregation. Now, church, it's very interesting. Because it's really easy to find people, YouTube channels, anyone that will agree with you or partner with greed that wants to come on you to talk you out of giving to God. And we call this partnership the spirit of mammon. Now, isn't it interesting that anytime you try to do spiritual things, there's demonic resistance against it? You could sit down and read any book in the world and you'll have no spiritual resistance. But the moment you sit down to read God's word, all of a sudden there's spiritual resistance. You can go get on the phone and talk to anyone you want to talk to, and there's no spiritual resistance. But when you go and shut your door to pray, all of a sudden there's spiritual resistance. And the enemy doesn't care what you do with your money as long as you don't use it for the kingdom. Because the moment you start using money for the kingdom, then all of a sudden there's spiritual resistance. What is the spirit behind that? It's a demon called mammon. Jesus warned us of this demon in Matthew 6 where he says you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, 24. What is mammon? Mammon is an evil spirit that rests on money. Mammon is the spirit that tries to keep you serving money instead of serving God. I did a message on on this called Mammon Go uh, a few years ago that I would encourage you, if you didn't listen to, go back and look at it because I don't have time to unpack Mammon. But this is what Mammon will do. Mammon will enable you to use money for evil, but never money for God. Now, this is important you understand this. Money, people like, money's evil. No, money's not evil. The love of money is evil. But you could either use money to build the kingdom or you could use money to build wicked, evil empires. And it's either you're serving God or mammon. I'm going to show you this. See, when your money builds the kingdom, you serve God. When your money is being used for evil, you're serving mammon. Now, I want to unpack this because there's this weird awkwardness in the church about, uh, you know, I those that's a big church and what are they doing with our money and different things like that. And I just want to show you about these other companies that you never Think about spending money at what they do with your money. So put this slide up here right now. Starbucks donates to Planned Parenthood and will pay for their employees to get abortions in other states if their states don't allow them. Disney is one of the largest supporters of LGBTQ, indoctrinating your children on a daily basis. The U.S. porn industry generates 10 to $12 billion a year. How about this? Target spent $20 million on gender-neutral bathrobes. And that's not even what they are investing or profiting off trying to brainwash your children with sexual perversion. How about this one? Planned Parenthood, a non-profit, reported $1.9 billion of income in 2022. 150 to 250 billion dollars flows through human trafficking annually. And what do you know? This global elitist, elitist George Soros, is pumping money into Texas elections. He put $1.2 million alone into Tarrant County. Into all Democrats, by the way, just if you're curious who he's funding. So it's interesting that. These wicked companies that are intentionally putting their money in places to indoctrinate your children or to murder them in the womb. But then all of a sudden, we feel this conviction where, what's the church doing with our money? All of a sudden, you're so cautious, I don't know feeding 55,000 families a year in our food bank. I don't know, seeing revival stewarded in the church and reformation outside the church. I don't know, raising up pastors and churches and planting churches in every major city in Texas. I don't know, sowing into 26 other churches around the nation, helping them develop presence-driven churches. That's what we're doing with our money. What are you doing with your money? Are you hearing me today? And let me help people with bad theology that wants to say tithing is under the law and we're not under the law. I'll give you two quick reasons. It can't be under the law if Abraham tithed in Genesis 14 before the law was written. And it can't be under the law if Jesus taught us in Matthew 23, 23 in the New Testament to tithe. So really what you mean is you want to partner with someone that will tell you what you want to hear. Well, guess what? You can find a doctor that will tell a man he's a woman. That don't make it true. You will always find somebody that will partner with evil spirits that are trying to keep you from the things of God. Church, withholding your tithe is stealing from God. And if you didn't know that's what you were doing, a preacher came to pastor you and father you today and tell you, stop stealing from God. Matthew, excuse me, Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and in offerings. That word rob in the Hebrew is the word kavah. It means the practice of taking someone else's property. To take forcibly, to embezzle, or to defraud. And some of you think that you can defraud God. You can lie to yourself. You could strong arm your spouse and stay in right standing from God. And I'm telling you, I came here to tell you this morning, you can't. You cannot rob from God and then pray to him and ask him for miracles. You can't steal from God and then believe his favor still coming to your home. When you withhold your tithe, you're robbing from God. And when you withhold your offerings, you're robbing from you. Malachi 3.9 says, you're under a curse. When you withhold your tithe, you're under a curse. What is the curse? The curse of robbing God is you never have enough and you never get his favor. You never have enough and you never have his favor. See, the tithe immediately deals with the heart of every person and it tests it. Here's what God said, I'm testing you with your finances. And here's the thing, is your tithe is simply a reflection of your love for God. Because now I'm really going to teach this morning. That was all pretty much the introduction. (laughs) I was raised in a church that taught tithing. I'm so glad and I'm thankful for it. But then after tithing, it was over. Just give your 10% and let God bless you. And I came to tell you that we must learn... A greater degree of faith. Watch the favor and blessing of the Lord is going to come when you grow in stewardship. I'm going to tell you something that's going to mess with some of you and it's going to be really, really good. Some of you were raised like me and you thought 10% belonged to the Lord and the other 90% was yours. And I came to correct you this morning. That 100% belongs to God. He asks you to bring 10% to test you. Watch. Then you have to steward the other 90 with him. Young people, I need you to hear me today because this can save you decades of mismanagement. Listen, your money is not yours. Quiet in this spirit filled church. No, because some of you are struggling with just 10%. And you're in the robbing, thieving bracket. And then there's another group of you that you're like, oh, no, no, I'm gonna gonna, gonna pay my spiritual dues. And then this is mine. And what I came to tell you is that 90 is not yours, the 90 is his. Watch that he partners with you to steward. I'm going to show you in God's word because some of you are having a hard time with that. And uh, I'm going to let scripture do the talking and then you can determine if you want to partner with God or you want to partner with mammon. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world, all of its people belong to him. Watch this. Not only does your money belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. I want you to hear this today because somebody is about to get a breakthrough and go to the next level. And this is what the next level is. It's not 10% is his, 90% is yours. It's 100% his. You give 10 in obedience to bring what he said to bring and then the other 90 you steward with him. That means when you're buying cars, you're asking, what car do you want us to buy? When you're shopping for a house, what house do you want us to buy? When you're investing, Lord, what investments do you want us to do? Listen, Lord, this is all yours. How do you want me to steward it? I'm gonna show you something. I'm gonna show you something that's gonna blow your mind. I'm telling you, the Lord has been convicting me crazy about stewardship. What does it mean to be a steward? It means to be a manager. You know what a manager is? A manager is a middleman. That means the manager doesn't own it. Do you know what the word Lord means? In the Greek, it means owner. So watch, we call him Lord because he owns it all. We are the stewards, watch, that manage what he entrusts with us. Hold on. So that means if you don't like what you're managing, maybe it's because you're not trustworthy. I'm gonna show you in God's word because somebody's gonna go up a level this morning. Somebody's gonna grow in faith this morning and we're not gonna be able to reform the world when these secular, worldly companies are putting billions of dollars into wicked agendas and then we have a group of Christian business guys that wanna pretend they're kingdom but they're just building their own empires. You wanna blow your mind? Go ahead and name for me the Christian billionaires. Go ahead, name the list of them, go ahead. Which ones are funding the advancement of the gospel and the Reformation? Come on, name the companies. Isn't that interesting? Do you not see the battle that we're in in Reformation? And because the enemy has tied up resources for evil, why the church is struggling with their tithe. Woo, it's quiet this church. I love pastoring it though. Someone say stewardship. Matthew 25. Jacket's got to go. Matthew twenty-five. Look at this. Put it up. Put it up. Matthew twenty-five, beginning verse fourteen. This is the parable of the good and the bad steward. Okay. So in this parable, we taught about it. I taught about it when I taught on, on on stewardship and the new value. Here's what happened. A master came into town, and he gave three servants three different amounts. One, one talent. One-two talent, one-five talent, each according to his ability or what they could be trusted with. Now, remember, anytime Jesus is giving a parable, he's teaching people about kingdom principles through stories. So when he says there was a master, guess who the master was? Jesus. When he says there was a servant, guess who the servant is? You are. He's teaching us about kingdom principles through these stories. So he said he went away and he left one-five, one-two, and one-one. The one he left five, he came back. And in verse 17, it says he doubled it. And here's what it said. The one that received, let's look at verse 18 together. But he who had received one talent, oops, I jumped ahead, went and hid his master's money in the ground. Verse 21, jump down. His master said to him, this is the one who made five, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little, And I have set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. Verse 23, his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you as ruler over much enter into the joy of the master. Again, one, he gave one talent. One, he gave two talent. One, he gave five talent. And that doesn't mean a lot when you're just sitting in a church service, so let me explain it to you a little better. When you're understanding talents, a talent was a year's wage. So, the annual income last year, put that graph up, was $75,000 roughly. So he gave one guy one talent of $75,000. He gave another guy two talents of $150,000. And he gave another guy five talents of $372,000. The one he gave five talents to, he doubled his talents. The one he gave two talents to doubled his talent. And the one he gave seventy five dollars to, buried his talents. This blew my mind. The Lord showed me this about three years ago. And he comes to him. Look what he says, the one who hit hit it in the ground. The one he hid it in the ground, he said, verse 24, the one who received one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you had not scattered seed. I was afraid, mammon, so I went and hid your talent in the ground. I hid my 75,000. I didn't do anything with what you gave me. But the master said, you wicked, slothful, or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Look at verse 27. Then you would ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coving so you at least would receive it with interest. This is wild. What Jesus said is the least he should have done is most Americans best. He said to the wicked, lazy, year wage $75,000 average person, the least you should have done is put it in the bank to get interest. And we sit around with money in the bank flexing like we're good stewards. When Jesus said, it's the least you should do. You wanna go deeper with a little bit more minds blown today? Okay, he gave 175,000. Jesus' response to him was, You are a slothful, worthless, wicked, lazy servant. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. Put that screen back up of the three different talents. He gives one guy two talents which is 149,000, what does Jesus say to him? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little, I'll make you rule over much. The guy that had five talents doubled it. What did, what did the master, what did Jesus say? to him? well done, my good and faithful servant. I have uh, made you, you've been faithful with little, now you'll be ruler over much. Please listen to me today. The guy he gave five talents to, $372,000. He said, you've been faithful with little. We need reformation in our finances because I would guess probably 90% of this room thinks $372,000 was a lot. And the master did not say it was a lot. Jesus said it was a little. Do you know what that means? God's perspective on money and your perspective on money are not the same. Church, one day you will stand before God and he will either say well done come share in the joyous celebration of good stewardship or he'll say you are a, a worthless wicked lazy servant one day you will stand before god let me ask you this question what would happen if you stood before him today what would happen if you stood before god today would he say well done or would he say wicked and lazy Church, we need a reformation in our finances where we stop looking at money through the lens of mammon or our immaturity, but we begin to look at money the way God does. Pastor Ryan, come and join me. Let's go back to our story in First Samuel chapter 16. Saul was the people's king. He was the king That the people asked for. The anointing of God was taken from King Saul. Because he feared people instead of fearing God. So God sent the prophet Samuel. On a quest to anoint the next king of Israel. He led them to a man named Jesse's house. And Jesse had eight sons. His oldest son was a man named Eliab. And Samuel took one look at Eliab. And thinks for himself. Surely... He's the Lord's anointed. I just want to stop for a moment. The prophet Samuel is one of the most significant men of God who ever walked the face of the earth. It says earlier in the chapter that the men of the town were afraid when he came into town because they feared God so much in his presence because how accurate a prophet he was. And when the prophet comes in the room, he sees the oldest brother, Eliab. He says, he's tall, he's handsome, he's the oldest, surely he's the one. And God rejects him and rebukes and corrects Samuel. Now you have to watch this, because you could be the most spiritual person in the room, and you're still going to miss God when you think instead of hear. He thinks that Eliab is the one. And then God corrects him. And what does he say? He says, I have rejected him. Imagine being the man. Imagine being the person that God said, I'm rejecting. Then he goes and corrects Samuel. And says, man looks at the outward appearance. What does the Lord look at? The heart. He said, you're looking at the outward appearance. Now remember, the next person to be anointed was going to bring reformation to the army. Was going to bring reformation to the city. Was going to bring reformation to worship. This next king was an important king. Because the last king was the people's king. This king was going to be God's king. And God's king was a man who was after his heart. What does it mean to be a man that's pure in heart? It means you could be trusted. You know, it's wild. wild. God rejects Eliab. Do you know why? Because his heart wasn't pure. We find this in 1 Samuel 17 when they're on the battlefield and David comes. he says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the army of the living God? His older brother turns to him and says, we know your heart is wicked. When the truth is, is God said his heart was pure. Eliab, your heart is wicked. That's why God didn't trust you with this kingdom. Church, I love God's word and I love daily encounters because you could read a chapter over and over and over and over and over and then the Holy Spirit breathes upon it it becomes alive. I have read 1 Samuel 16 and 17 more times than I can count. I have preached on 1 Samuel 16 17 more than I could remember. And this week I was preparing to minister. The Lord audibly spoke to me and said, preach out of this from his heart. And when I got to it, he said, look again. As they're looking again, what happens is the first thing that Samuel does is he brings them to consecrate themselves. What was the message that Pastor Heather just preached on consecration and holiness? We're in a season, stewarding a prophetic word of a year of consecration. Then I never saw this before. As he's anointing him king, what are they doing? They're bringing an offering. And in this offering, God declares over David, he's a man who has a pure heart. The first act as he is being anointed king is through an offering and I never noticed it before till this week, his last act of king was an offering. Turn to me to 1 Chronicles. It'll be up on the screen. 16, 7. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, or excuse me, 1 Chronicles 22, 5. For David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced. The house that is to be built for the Lord, look at this, must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout the lands. I will there make preparations for it. So David provided the materials in great quantity before the Lord. His first act inter- being introduced as king was through an offering. And his last act of king was to prepare an offering. I was curious this week on how much this offering was. I called Dr. Brown, I said, hey, could you help me research this? What was Solomon's temple worth in today's value? We came to the number 42 trillion dollars. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not at the place and stage in life and understanding that I knew what that meant. I'm still at this place when you start talking about trillions, I get lost. You know, when you give your kid a hundred-dollar bill and you're like, "Oh, be careful with that one," because they don't know what it's worth. I was literally sitting there thinking, "How do I begin to comprehend forty-two trillion?" Then I started thinking of things that I know the value of, like Dallas Cowboy Stadium. There was one point one five billion. Then I divided 1.15 billion into 42 trillion. Please put the the, the screen up. And if you do 1.5 billion into 42 trillion, you get 36,521. So 36,521 Dallas Cowboy Stadiums was the cost of one temple. But still, to be honest with you, I I really didn't understand the gravity of that because it's hard to put in perspective. So then I realized there's 50 states in America. And if you divide the 50 states by the 36,521, you would come up with 730 Cowboy Stadiums in every state in the nation. If you broke that down city by city, we would have like nine in Fort Worth alone. Watch. King David, his last act of king, is giving trillions, and the church is struggling to tithe. This wasn't what he gave in his lifetime. This was his last offering, and we think the '90s ours. We need reformation in our finances, where we stop being led by the greed of Mammon, and we allow God to trust us with more. Do you know why God has not given us more? It's because we're not trustworthy with it yet. Now I need to be honest with you. I've been on this wild journey. I feel like there's been layers and layers and layers of fear and mammon come off me. I've identified it quite a few times already in the last few years. In fact, about three years ago when, when we were remodeling the sanctuary and we ripped up the carpet we are, we are writing all over the sanctuary prayer requests and things we believe in God for. And I remember Heather was right here for, for about an hour and she, she literally wrote this entire section and she starts writing cities all over America that, that, that she wants to believe in God to put justice residents. And then she stopped writing cities and started writing nations and starts writing all over this. And, and I remember looking over at my wife, weeping before the Lord, writing down cities and nations that there'd be justice residents, thinking, but how's that gonna happen? Oh, your great fearless leader who has so much faith. Letting mammon influence me. My wife is believing God for the impossible. But I know I'm not the only one that mammon has attacked. I know I'm not the only one. I had an encounter with the Lord yesterday. I'm in my daily encounter. I'm by the fire. I'm kneeling before him. And I heard the Lord ask me a question. He said to me, Landon, how much is a lot of money? So I told him, hundreds of millions. And then he said to me, now repent for thinking that's a lot. I know I'm not the only one on this journey. And I'm saying trillions and billions and hundreds of millions, but you might be at the place right now that you think a thousands is a lot. And I came to tell you what the Lord told me, repent for thinking it's a lot. Mammon is financing the evils of the world while the church is wrestling with just obeying God. King David's giving trillions. We don't know how we're going to build a $15 million justice residence. Not one of them. How are we going to build thousands of them? We need reformation in our finances. Church, the Lord gives more to who he can trust. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me all over this place? I want you to posture your hearts to receive. So if you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to bow, you can bow. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to come forward, you can come forward. But there's individuals that are in this room that you're stealing from God. You're withholding the tithe. You haven't been trustworthy with the first fruits. And this morning, you need to repent. I'm not asking anybody to lift their hands. This is between you and God. Every campus, every community, in Lubbock this morning in Austin this morning in California wherever you're watching and listening to right now if you are in that first season where you are struggling maybe it's fear maybe it's greed maybe you just didn't even know and you're like pastor I'm hearing it for the first time today I didn't know i would tell you god sees your heart just stop robbing him wherever you are today just repent what does it mean to repent it means to turn from going that direction to ask him to forgive you to make a commitment in your heart to be godly right now reform this crooked way in you The second person I wanna pray for, the second person that needs to repent is the person that you have not been stewarding the 90 well. Maybe you've been faithful as the sun rises in the morning to tithe, but you have thought the 90 is yours and you have not asked the Lord how to steward it. You've kept him from it. You've been the manager, you've managed your legacy your retirement your name your reputation and this morning you want to be a good steward you want to be one of the good and faithful ones that the lord adds to you who gives you more because you're trustworthy right now if that's you just repent and right now all over this place ask the lord to help you steward more would you pray that all over this place lord help me steward more I want to be a good steward I want to be a faithful steward I want to be a steward that pleases you Lord Ha! I just heard the Lord say he's adding to good stewards today I felt this so strong there's been such great stewards in this room I felt the Lord say there's been great stewards in this room he's adding to you today He's adding. If you have been passionate about stewarding with everything that you have, if it's been on the forefront of your mind that you've been, you've been living this out with the Lord right now, just lift your hands right now. Let Him add to you. 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 I just heard Him say, He's adding. He's adding. I, I even feel a doubling, a doubling, a doubling, a doubling, a doubling. Lord, I pray right now, sovereignly do what only you can do. I pray this now. Now the third category is the category that I fell into. The Lord told me, what is a lot of money? And I answered him, hundreds of millions. And he said, repent. I'm asking you right now, what is a lot of money? Give your answer to the Lord. And whatever amount you just said, I invite you to repent of it. Lord, I pray right now, we repent as a congregation. I repent as your servant and your son for having too small of value on what you value. Father, I ask you right now that you would reform my mind. You would reform my thoughts that I would stop thinking what is little to you to be a lot to me i pray right now that you would begin to expand our thinking begin to expand our ability to understand father i pray that you would do works in us that we would see how you see we would think how you think and we would love how you love i pray this now in jesus name would you stand with me all over this place i'm going to pray one more thing over you before we close felt the Lord prompt me to end the service with my portion by praying over you the prayer of Jabez again. We prayed this every day of 2022. We prayed it just about every week from the pulpit. And maybe you weren't members of the church yet. Or maybe God just wanted me to remind you of the foundation that is in this place. Would you just posture your hearts to receive? You are standing in the foundations of miracles. So Lord, I pray right now over your people. This prayer that Jabez prayed. I declare 1 Chronicles 4.10. I pray, oh, that he would bless you indeed. Over and over and over and over and over and over that you cannot escape the blessings of God. I pray that he would expand your territory I pray that he would put his hand of favor upon you and I pray he would keep you from evil even as you walk into situation where there's evil and evil around I pray right now in Jesus name he will keep you from evil I pray the Lord is with you. I pray his favor is on you. I pray right now his grace is on you. I pray his mercy is on you. I pray right now for the most intimate relationship you've ever had with your maker this year. I declare over you mercy culture. He's reforming you. He's making crooked ways straight in you. He's reforming your heart. He's reforming your mind. He's reforming your spirit. I pray right now he's giving you heaven's blueprints. He's giving you heaven's strategies. He's causing you to think heaven thoughts. I pray right now that every thought that is of ourselves every thought that is of a mammon every thought that is carnal we cast it down we want God's thoughts come on one last time lift your hands high I pray right now Lord reform us I pray your heart and your mind in everything Jesus I ask you to bless your people meet your people prosper them as their soul prospers. Or I ask you, Lord, do it in me, do it in them, do it in us. We love you, Jesus. Come on, would you just put your hands together and just love on the Lord this morning?